Today's scripture reading is taken from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no hope. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those who help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our scripture reading, second lesson, today is from Paul's letter to the Galatians. And I will be reading from chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 11. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond uh, uh, many among people of, of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me uh, so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, I have a, a question for you and I worry that by uh, asking this question, you are going to spend the rest of the service thinking about it. Please don't do that. Uh, but here's the question anyway. Can you remember the most difficult letter that you ever wrote? Uh, who did you write to? Uh, 
what was that letter about? Can you still remember the language you used? Would, would you change anything about that difficult letter uh, now that there is some distance between you and that time? And uh, the truth is, I hated uh, to write difficult letters. I've written more than one in, in my life. Uh, I hated every single one of them. My stomach would uh, be in knots as I wrote them. My heart would be racing. I would be perspiring from the effort. Right? You wouldn't think the simple task of, of writing a letter would engage the whole cardiovascular system. Sometimes I would be bearing down so hard I'd break the tip off my pencil. Uh, the equivalent today, I suppose, would be bashing the keyboard to bits. It's always better uh, when we have a difficult letter uh, to write to wait until the next morning. In other words, to sleep on it and to get a little distance from it. Coming back to a difficult letter the next day is uh, almost always helpful. In fact, more than once over the years, I've uh, deleted letters altogether the next morning. Uh, I would write them full of anger and, and indignation, and, and I would use insulting language, not quite like Donald Trump, but close. And, and, and then the next day, I would just... Uh, delete it. I would uh, get rid of it. And in hindsight, you won't be surprised to hear this, in hindsight, I am glad that those letters were deleted. They helped me to express my anger, temporarily at least, but sending them would not have achieved very much. In fact, just the opposite would be true. Those letters would have done far more harm than good. I thought of all of that last week in connection with this letter from Paul to the Galatians. This is one of those difficult letters. Uh, you may want to uh, take some time this week to read it in its entirety. I always think it's good to read a, a book of the Bible from beginning to end. Those chapter, uh, chapters and verses are artificial dividers. It's always helpful to read from beginning to end to get a sense of what's going on. And the truth is, this is a beautiful letter in many places. But Paul was angry when he wrote it, and he had a right to be angry. Right? His integrity had been questioned, his teaching had been challenged, and even his authority was being undermined. And he was mad about it, as you and I would have been mad. As some of you know, Paul often dictated his letters to traveling companions or to a secretary. But in the case of this letter to the Galatians, he wrote at least the last part of the letter in his own hand. In fact, uh, if you read at the end, he says, look, I'm, my eyesight may not be very good, but uh, my letters are large, but this is me. These are my words, right? I am the one writing this letter, period. Do you know something? I like it that Paul was angry and upset. I like it that he lets his true feelings show. I like it that we get to see him as he really is. A red face, veins bulging in his neck. I have had coaches over the years, football coaches, who would appear to be very angry. So they would throw their clipboards on the ground, or they would kick a folding chair, and and, and they would do something to show how angry they were over how badly we were playing. But I think we knew, as a team, we knew what was real and, and what wasn't. And uh, we knew when the coach was acting and, and when he really meant it. Sometimes during the tantrum, uh, we would look at each other as if to say, wow, that is worth an Academy Award. And, uh, I think it's possible to know here. 
in this letter whether or not Paul really means what he is writing. I would say that he really meant it. This is not a little theater to get someone's attention. This was the real thing. Paul is charged up. Something has happened that has left him shaking. And frankly, if I had received this letter, if I had been a member of the church where this letter was read, which is how Paul's letters were used at the beginning, I would have sat up and paid attention. On the surface, what Paul is writing about is not much of an issue today. Whether or not circumcision should be required for new Christians is not really an issue today, is it? Uh, I think we can say that that issue has been settled or mostly settled. But what lies just beneath the surface, the issues of integrity and authority and so on, they're just as real and just as important today as they were way back in the first century. When someone questions your integrity or your motives for doing something or your honesty or your right to have an opinion, why, you would be angry too. And you would write a 500-word email about it and copy all of your friends and maybe the leadership in your Gemeinde, and then you would press the send button. Look, I, I, I think the Apostle Paul, who writes uh, much of the New Testament, who, who did more than anyone to establish the church in the world, uh, who, who worked far harder than any missionary who has ever lived, who, who gave his life in the process... I think the Apostle Paul is often unjustly criticized for his boastfulness. Every now and then you catch a glimpse of, uh, uh, in his letters of what seems like boasting or bragging. He will review his credentials as he does in the, the verses we heard today. And at first it, it doesn't sound right. He, he writes, I have advanced in Judaism beyond many among uh, people of the same age. And at first we think, oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't let everyone know where you went to school and who you studied with and, and that you graduated first in your class. You, you shouldn't do that. But the truth is, Paul is not bragging. Uh, whenever he mentions his credentials, as he does here, he is under attack. Someone has said about Paul, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then Paul will review his resume for us, his Lebenslauf, as if to say, actually, you know, I do know what I'm talking about. You know, there's a difference between bragging and, and, and boastfulness on, on the one hand and, and the sort of Christian character that, that uh, Paul demonstrates for us on, on the other. And as the American pastor John Piper likes to say, this is not advanced discipleship, this is basic Christianity. You and I, if we are serious about our faith, need to get this much right. So let me see if I can put this very simply. Uh, uh, Paul always knew who he was. He was a sinner forgiven by God. He would have been lost, but for the grace of God given to him through Jesus Christ, that was his identity. Nothing else. And frankly, he wished for no other. All of his successes, all of his degrees, everything that counts for something in popular culture, he counted as rubbish. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 8. If you don't know this uh, verse, it's worth committing to memory, I think. Uh, Paul writes, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Savior. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ. Whoa. I mean, I don't think you can make the case that, that Paul was boastful. Right? Or, or full of himself or a braggart. The truth is he understood who he was better than most of us understand who we are. You and I could learn something from him about Christian identity. When I was quite a bit younger, I had uh, my diplomas nicely matted and, and framed, and I hung them on the wall wherever, you know, where everyone could see them. Uh, the diplomas from uh, Princeton are in Latin, and so for that reason alone, they're very impressive. I mean, who knows what they say. Uh, maybe they say whoever puts this on the wall doesn't really deserve the degree. Uh, anyway, every time I moved, I would bring them with me to my new office, and I would uh, uh, nail them to the wall, and I was very proud. And then one day, and I know exactly when this happened, I, I, I can recall it uh, now as though it were yesterday, I decided to put them in the closet. Uh, in other words, out of sight. And I remember preaching a sermon in which I said from the pulpit, so confident uh, was I that I knew I, what I was talking about, uh, I said that our baptisms were the only credentials that mattered. Uh, the rest of it, I said, everything else was rubbish. Well, and then, uh, as often happens, I felt convicted by my own words, and that's when I went back to my office and took everything down and, and, and put it in the closet. Uh, sometime later, I happened to be serving a, a, a church in an academic community, and I, I told that story. No more diplomas on my wall, rubbish, etc., uh, the story I just told you. And after the service, at the door, uh, while I was greeting, a man approached me, and in a voice that I thought was louder than necessary, he let me know how hard he had worked on his degrees, and how hard he had worked to get into the schools that granted him his degrees, and how his diplomas were going to stay on the wall. And I remember being shaken. Uh, no one had ever shouted at me at the door of the church. Uh, people usually go home and write long emails if they disagree, but not that. I mean, this man was so upset that he confronted me within minutes of my sermon coming to an end. And by the way, I have nothing against diplomas and, and graduate degrees. When, when my dermatologist is about to slice some bad skin cells from my back or chest or wherever, I like to look over her shoulder and make sure that degree is firmly affixed uh, to the wall. All right. So this is not about having demonstrated competence in your field. All right. There are times when I want to know that you are competent in your field. What this is about is how we see ourselves. What this is about is our identity. This is about what's important to us, and, and this is about what we value most in life. In Matthew's Gospel, uh, Luke contains some of these same words, but uh, in a slightly different form. But in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where... Uh, thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, this is the key sentence, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the key, isn't it? I mean, it's so simple, but what is it that you value most? 
When a group of people uh, had the poor judgment to suggest that Paul didn't know what he was talking about, Paul rose to his full height, which apparently wasn't very much. According to sources we have, he wasn't very tall. And, and, and Paul said, look here, I do know what I'm talking about. I am speaking because of a revelation I had from Jesus Christ himself. He wasn't bragging. He wasn't claiming any special status within the church of Jesus Christ. To him, it was a simple statement of fact. Let me ask you another question. If you're still thinking about the difficult letter that you wrote, uh, please consider this new question. Where is your treasure? As Paul knew, as Jesus knew, as every person knows who has tried to live the Christian faith, that may be one of the most important questions we will ever ask ourselves. Where is your treasure? What is it that you value most? In the last six months, I, I watched as my mother downsized from the condominium where she lived with my father for quite a few years and She moved into a small apartment in a retirement complex. Many of you have helped a parent do this, so you know what it means. And it's often traumatic and unsettling. Everything that has been accumulated over the course of years is sorted out. A few things can be kept. The rest has to be given away or sold or taken home by children or grandchildren who probably don't want it anyway. There was no room in in the new apartment, for example, for the piano, a piano that had been with my mother for at least the last 50 years, a piano that I practiced on. So there she is now, my mother, in a living space that is a small fraction uh, of what she once had, and she is surrounded by a few things that have meaning to her, a few photographs, a, a few paintings that my dad painted, an iPad so that she can receive FaceTime calls from me. But that's about all. At this point in in her life, 89 years old, she is grappling with the where is your treasure question. And to her credit, uh, I think she is getting this right, or at least she seems to be. She knows, I think, that her treasure is in heaven. But the question is, what about you? What is most precious to you? The Apostle Paul could say this without hesitation, and, and, and I wonder, could you? The American preacher Fred Craddock tells the story of a missionary family in China who was forced out of the country in 1949 when the communists took control. Some of you may have heard this story before. One day a group of soldiers knocked on the door and told the missionary and his wife and their children that they had two hours to pack up before the troops would escort them to the train. They would be permitted to take with them only 200 pounds of stuff, which amounts to not quite 91 kilos. After years of living in this country, they suddenly had to decide, what should they take? What about the vase? It's a family heirloom, so we definitely have to take the vase. Well, maybe so, but this typewriter is brand new, and we're not about to leave a brand new typewriter behind. And and what about some books? We have to take a few books along. On and on it went, putting stuff on the bathroom scale and taking it off again until they finally had a pile of possessions that that totaled 200 pounds on the dot. At the appointed hour, the soldiers returned. Are you ready, they asked. Yes. Did you weigh your stuff? Yes, we did. 200 pounds. Yes, 200 pounds on the dot. Did you weigh the kids? Um, no. Weigh the kids. 
And in an instant, the vase and the typewriter and the books all became rubbish. Trash. None of it meant anything compared to the surpassing value of their children. I mean, I wonder, uh, partly because I have thought about this many times uh, over the years, what is it that is of surpassing value to you? Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us minds to know you, hearts to love you, voices to sing forth your praise. We thank you for what we have been able to accomplish with our lives, for the degrees we have earned, for the accomplishments we have had, for the positions we have held, for everything that this culture counts as important. And now here in this silent place of worship, we say in our own hearts that all of it is nothing compared to you, compared to your love for us, compared to what Jesus Christ has done for us. Where we struggle to get to that confession, we pray that you will enter in and make it clear to us. We pray this in Christ's name.